At this point, you should be on the frame with a film strip title that says Oral Hygiene. Welcome to Oral Hygiene. It's the podcast where we talk about educational films, experimental caught films, and interesting documentaries. This is Matt here. Uh, today with me is the author of the recent book, Not Fucking Around, Jeff Flyswitz. Hello. Thank you for coming in. Hello. Thanks for having me and beaming across the world. Radio. Um, and yeah, I guess we're claiming caught film today. We're looking at um, Almost Famous, which is probably the most mainstream one we've we've done here because I mm. threw out your way about, um, you know, like a songwriter documentary and everything I came across was Nashville, which is that's well and good. But I don't know. It, it wasn't setting a fire on me. And you said Almost Famous. I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that one. It's awesome. Awesome movie. Um, can you give everyone sort of just the TV guide synopsis of this one? Uh, sure. It's uh, about a kid in the 70s who manages to get on tour with a rock band to write an article about them in Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah, that basically covers it. Um, and of course, it's directed by Cameron Crowe, who was basically that rock journalist in the 70s. Uh, I know when the movie came out, some people were like, oh, it seems a little bit unrealist unrealistic. But it's like, well, he actually the director did this. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's you can't it's really true. call it, you know, stranger than fiction sort of uh, sort of thing. Um, when did you first see this one? Did you catch in the theater? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, I saw this when it first came out. I bought the DVD immediately. I've seen this one a million times. I freaking love this movie. Um, not just because it's a great movie and I love music, but um, besides being a life coach for creatives and songwriters, I am uh, I was a music journalist. I, I was not quite that kid in that movie. But I started writing record reviews in junior high, in college, did it professionally for many years, including uh, in the mid-90s when I moved to Seattle for the, the radio station that broke grunge music to the world. So I wrote uh, the website for that, for that radio station, which, by the way, in the mid-90s, you know, no one even heard of a website. So it was like kind of breaking new ground in a lot of directions. It was pretty cool. Well, uh, I think it might have been someone in Congress or something in the mid 90s. I just remember there's a quote with someone saying, oh, the, the Internet may eventually have like 10 or 20 websites on it <laughs> as, a, as a mid 90s quote. Yeah, I saw this one. I, I think I saw it, saw it on um, opening night. Um, I not made the mistake because I do prefer it, but uh I, I find myself in a time pinch last night because I actually have the extended cut. So that's the one I just got through. Um, it's one of those things where I've actually forgotten what they added. So I guess it's good I watched that one. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, was, that a D was that a DVD or was that a digital? No, yeah, it's, like, it's my, my Japanese DVD. It's got the title uh, in Japanese underneath. <laughs> got it, cool. 
So fortunately, a lot of the discs can play on American players and, and back and forth. And so, so um, I know you mentioned Seattle and, and grunge time. So did you have a grunge favorite? Uh, a grunge favorite artist or band? Yeah. Or experience with the bands? Oh, uh, you could take it both ways if you like. How about musically? Oh, musically, um, you know, I liked a lot of it. But I never loved, like, re like I, I was not a super hardcore fan of that style of music. However, I did like a lot of it. I mean, certainly Nirvana, um, Smashing Pumpkins, the, uh, Everclear. You know, this is grunge slash alternative, I guess. Um, so, you know, yeah, all kinds of stuff like that. I just... Um... In the early 90s or mid 90s, I was playing in bands and I remember we were able to play at some some girl's house in her basement. And the mom was like, you can play what you have to play Nirvana songs for me. So <laughs> that was like the deal. We had to play Nirvana songs for <laughs> I, my, my personal favorite is probably Mudhoney. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Mudhoney, yeah. Mm -hmm. The scummiest sounds of all. Um, now, in this one, of course, we get the band's. Stillwater, which I guess would kind of go in your cabinet with like the Guess Who or, um, you know, um, James Gang or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I'm not sure if uh, if Cameron Crowe wrote that based on his experience with uh, or what the band was, because I think it was based on an experience with the band, at least partially um you know that plane you know the near plane wreck was certainly a big thing in the 70s so i'm not sure where he drew where you know specifically what band he drew that from do you um i think there's a fair amount of uh, zeppelin in here Stillwater in here clearly being a crappier band than zeppelin really but <laughs> i mean you don't want to have like one of the best bands as your subject in this one because they're almost right. famous but um uh, the the this was the first time I think that um, Led Zeppelin had actually licensed their music to be in a movie. Uh, yeah, watched, that was kind of amazing. Yeah, because like if you watch uh, Wayne's World, when when Wayne plays the Stairway riff, it's clearly not Stairway. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, yeah, interesting. I mean, I guess Cameron Crowe knew them personally from his work as a journalist from back in the day and i suspect he you know just reached out to him and said here's what i got you know do you want to go for it yeah it's basically calling in a calling in a favor um yeah not yeah not too many people who can you know call up robert plant and ask him you know can i use your music in my movie so <laughs> yeah. and i think i do recall hearing that uh jimmy page was the one impossible to get down for a personal interview as the mysterious guitarist <laughs> mm, okay cool um i guess that's not, I, I actually i do cross a lot of these tracks i started university doing journalism school i actually kept a music blog for 10 years writing reviews on psychedelic albums though i didn't it's only been podcasting that i've started talking to more you know creatives and artists and things directly so mm -hmm. um as one of the co-hosts here said oh you're a journalist now i'm like oh okay <laughs> cool you never know where life is gonna take you right right uh something else that struck me i it's probably been about five years since i watched this and um i would this time i was like wow this this is a like just a 
glam cast. I mean, everybody in this film just looks like amazing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of people in there for sure. And I know at the time, Jay, I was actually into Jason Lee probably because of the uh, Kevin Smith film. So I was happy to see him in here. Um, the bass player, I believe, is um, I, Mark Kozilek, who who's Red House Painters in Sunkill Moon, which I, 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 last year he ran across a bunch of uh, accusations of, uh, you know, uh, being horrible towards the ladies. So I was really sorry to hear that because I did like his music, but watching the film last night, I was like, okay, I can see where this guy might come across as a little creepy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things like, can I still enjoy that music uh, if this person's reprehensible? I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, definitely responsible for, for some very good music. The drummer, I forget where he is from, to be honest. But uh, um, what, what is your, your basic like musical jam? Is, is, you, know, what, you said you did the grunge. It wasn't necessarily your thing. What is your uh, top flight music? um to listen to or to create uh again i'll i'll take both answers <laughs> well i mean i certainly like a lot of different styles to listen to and i'm a fan of everything from 70s rock you know um all those tons and tons of great great rock bands back then to the 80s kind of synth pop stuff like that i'm into you know funkiness a little punk rock um you know where i sort of built my ethos of how to be in the world with a little bit of rebellion and questioning authority and stuff like that. Uh, also singer songwriter, you know, music, just very simple, you know, acoustic guitar and voice kind of stuff. Electronic music. I was big into trip hop, not so much dance, electronic dance music, although I, I, I'm into the production of that kind of stuff more than the actual, uh, you know, songs and things like that. So really, you know, lots of different stuff. I, I think your book mentioned an interesting album of U2 covers, was it? <laughs> uh, right, yes. Um, so as an artist and a producer, I made an album which was electronic versions of U2 songs, U2 being one of my all-time favorites, uh, with a bunch of female singers on there. So that was really cool, really fun. It's got tons of play. It's had over a million plays on online. So that's cool. Um, and it was great working with all those singers. However, I would not recommend to anyone trying to find 14 different amazing singers for one project. It took me, I probably did a hundred auditions to get, to get that many singers. Yeah. That sounds like a, a headache. Yeah. I've, I've gotten pretty punk rock. I like to make music, but uh, I pretty much just pretty much do it on my own. I get like, you know, co-writers i have a something collaborating but uh, again living in the mountains of japan um there was a brief time where i had co-workers that were musicians and we were mm. jamming for a few months but uh currently that's not the case so i'm yeah. just in a in a room filled with guitars but uh <laughs> oh, not, not bad not a bad place to be yeah yeah and um i'd been working on kind of like funky electronic stuff and recently just came across a bunch of uh actually someone i interviewed for his podcast and got handed a bunch of lyrics from the 70s so now i'm trying to make my copy of a you know early 70s like folk rock album <laughs> oh cool that sounds fun but uh and yeah actually it's the first time i've really picked up my acoustic guitar seriously for years so it's kind of nice to touch base with that again absolutely i was definitely uh, lusting after some of the guitars in this movie they made sure to put very nice ones in the uh, backgrounds <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, musicians are big into their instruments and beautiful instruments are quite a thing. It is interesting because I played 20 years barely thinking about my gear and not even knowing, you know, what the knobs really did on the guitars. And in, in the mm. past five years, I have become a little more of a gearhead. Just, you know, it hasn't changed my music at all or how I do that. It's just like something to think about. And I annoy some friends by delving into 20 minutes of gear talk when they have no clue what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> well, cool gear is, is cool if you know how to use it, right? Just playing around with it, doing whatever. Uh, so, you do some life coaching, you give advice. Are, are the guys in Stillwater doing it the right way or the wrong way? <laughs> That's a good question. So, yeah, I am a life coach for creatives and I, uh, you know, songwriters in particular, but all kinds of other types. I have been and am a successful uh, musician and producer as well as a filmmaker, writer, you know, that book, screenplays, all kinds of stuff. So I've been in the creative field for quite a while. And, you know, what I've come to realize is there's a lot, obviously a lot of challenges like any career. However, it's going to amplify in the creative fields. Part of it is the external world. You know, how do you just write a song every day? How do you prioritize your art? How do you um, learn all this gear? You know, all those kinds of things. And then there's the internal world. And the internal world is you know, sort of like the psychology beneath all of us, whether you're a creative or not, our subconscious ideas about ourselves and about the world really drive how we perceive the world and how we act upon it. So if we have subconscious beliefs about the world that says the world's out to get me and everything's too hard, not good, right? Also, if you have subconscious beliefs that say, um, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough or talented enough, right? These kinds of beliefs are going to influence everything we do and say and how we interact with the world. So you could see that in this movie. You could see, you know, the singer, I think, especially, who was, you know, very ego driven, very pompous, very um self-righteous about what the music is and this and that right but you know he wanted to be a rich rock star and he was he was insecure about his voice he was giving russell all these you know the guitar player you know you you always thought you were better than us and he was better than them right but that made him feel bad about his own skills and about where the band was and insecure about the entire um, you know, band situation because, you know, essentially what was happening in that band was Russell could walk at any time and they all knew it. Right. So if Russell walks, the band is over unless they find another guitar player that's that good, which is not, you know, particularly likely. So what I would say, you know, as if I was, if I was coaching this band, it would be like, let's get honest and let's get real, not scream at each other over the t-shirts. That was not helpful, right? Let's actually talk to each other. And, you know, what are, what are our fears? What are our hopes for this band? And what, you know, what's stopping us from moving forward? And from there, hopefully you could get a dialogue with those guys going and, you know, they could have a, sort of a healthier situation. It's almost like a, that movie with Metallica where they had the therapist come in there. You ever see that one? Um, I know that's some kind of monster 
but weirdly I just named without having seen it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's sort of what that movie was about, you know, Metallica is and was a band that generates so much money for so many people between the labels and the managers and all the touring and you know, all that kind of stuff. They were sort of on the verge of breaking up or something. And they, you know, they hired this therapist to come in this counselor, somebody to facilitate the, you know, discussion between the bands so that they would have a healthier relationship and be able to continue essentially making music and then making money for everybody around them, including themselves. So, you know, whether it's in a band or, you know, a family or a relationship or work or whatever, honest communication is, you know, generally works. You need to be able to communicate properly and effectively, but when people get that, it generally tends to move the needle forward. Yeah. Um, it's making me think of uh, the uh, TV show Metalocalypse where they have the, you know, it's like Metallica just like pumped up where they're the, now the eighth largest economy in the world. And the, uh, mm -hmm. the band members are all just like bored out of their minds and relatively dull witted. <laughs> so <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I guess some kind of monster maybe hits that vibe a little bit. <laughs> Could be, I don't know. Uh, of course we, we need to get to, Oh God! See, all I can think of is Cameron Crowe, the uh, William Miller. There we go. Okay, who who is our actual lead with Still Stillwater, basically being the supporting <clears throat> cast. Um, and, and in the contrast here, it does seem that William is doing it more, you know, quote quote unquote right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, as the protagonist in the film, he's he's doing the best he can. Certainly, you know, he's essentially fighting with his mom, fighting with his, you know, fighting with, not exactly fighting with Russell, but struggling with Russell. He's has tension with Penny Lane, right? He's in love with her and, you know, he can't, she's in love with the, you know, the, he's, she's in love with Russell. He's not paying that much attention to her, not treating her very well. Um, so yeah, he's, he, the interesting thing is he's the youngest of the whole crew and yet he's the most mature really of everyone but he has a support system he's having trouble with his mom but his mom remains the support system you know the the sister's off but when they do run into each other instantly become supporting uh lester bangs uh you know being played by philip seymour hoffman which is you know quite fantastic um on my sci-fi podcast uh we just watched the final cut with robin williams and yeah just seeing these guys a few years uh after they departed the planet, it's, it's kind of weirdly depressing because I, I don't think I'd watched a movie with him in it, uh, Seymour Hoffman in it for a few years. So, yeah. But um, yeah, the, the whole idea of faking it until you make it, I guess, is important because there's always a reason to, you know, just call it quits, right? Um, even in terms of this podcasting, sometimes I'm like, why am I doing this? And I don't know, because I want to. <laughs> So as a life coach, I would, you know, ask you to invite you to dig into that a little bit more, right? Wanting to do something is not, it's a very surface reason. It really isn't the actual answer. So, you know, the question would be like, like what really drives you or Russell or, you know, William or anybody to do the things we do? Because unless you are conscious of the drivers in your behavior, 
you're never going to be fully aligned with your energy and thus be able to take it, whatever it is, as far as you would like it to go. One thing I found, and I'm sorry, one thing I've kind of mentioned on the podcast before is um, just confronting social anxiety. I'm always now talking to people cold like we are today. And, uh, sure. you know, in real life, I'm, I'm the guy that's actually probably going to sit back and play a guitar at the party. So I don't have to talk to anybody. Right. I'll go to the party, but I'm going to play guitar and not talk to people. So uh, I have found at first, you know, just I started podcasting with with one of my coworkers and just getting a more free form of conversation. I was like, how am I even going to keep a conversation going for an hour? You know, then we started having guests people, and then guests I didn't know. And, you know, now I'm doing this podcast where I just uh, go straight and talk to people that I haven't met before. So, uh, sure. you know, when I started and I didn't realize it until I'd been doing it for a while, it's like, Oh, this is actually me, you know, working on, you know, sort of getting past social anxiety and communicating better and, things like that. So absolutely. So good for you for doing that and for understanding it. Um, you know, in any form of creativity and really any form of work or any endeavor at all, I believe that on some level we are trying to heal whatever parts of ourselves may be hurting or insecure or fearful or whatever. So you know, for you by starting a podcast, that's a, that is a major, that's a major step forward, right? You're talking to all these people, this and that. Um, I would invite you again as a life coach to, instead of think of this as I'm doing this because I want to, it's, it is doing it because this is helping me connect with the world, right? Connect with people of similar interests, things like that, et cetera, et cetera. And perhaps even alter the mission of the podcast a bit so that that is more aligned with what you're actually doing right yeah because um you know it's always been an excuse i live in japan in the mountains even not even the city there's you know there's not that many people around but uh uh if nothing else 2020 did for me is i got everyone on zoom so (laughs) it's kind of exactly just call up anyone anywhere, which I, I've definitely been digging. You know, as for music, it's basically like if I go two months without making a song, I just start to get depressed. So <laughs> that one I'm not even quite in. And well, in that case, you know, yeah. Um, I just love playing music. So, that, I mean, you get that. You're a musician. but <laughs> it, Yes, but I would ask the same question. It's not, you, you know, it's not you, you know, why do you really play music i sort of think of it as like painting of course that leads to the question why are you painting anyway but uh you know when i make music i'm trying to you know make things that create images and emotions uh you know not necessarily even for other people i I enjoy listening to stuff i make on my own and when other people do comment it's just hey that's nice someone else got into it okay so that's good and i would again ask the same question why why do you want to paint pictures about emotion yeah probably because i don't want to talk about them that much i'd rather give you a feeling as opposed to explaining so um one thing i do with the music i i I can write lyrics perfectly fine but i for the past several years i've always been outsourcing my lyrics because it's like i want to commit what i'm trying to put through completely abstractly (laughs) you know what what is this feeling i'm feeling here is sort of the uh, uh a nice 
you know, attempt at uh, conveying that through sound. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that sounds good. Sounds like you've got your process going. And, you know, once again, with many of my, really all of my clients, whether they're writing books or, you know, even starting businesses or making music or acting or any of these things, at some level, it really is about the expression and the healing within us. That's, I mean, Cameron Crowe made that movie so he could understand what happened to him, (laughs) right? It happens to be an amazing story. It happens to be, you know, we love it. And, you know, it's quite popular and all this and that. But, you know, I think at the, at the very bottom of it, it's, you know, he had this experience when he was a kid and now he's, I don't know, 40, 50 years old, whatever he is. And he's trying to, trying to understand what happened. Like, how did he become who he was, right? Those years as a kid working for Rolling Stone shaped his entire life. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, at that point you know your high school years just go by at such a blur it's it's pretty wild sometimes so <laughs> um Absolutely. yeah for me i one feeling i always had was just to get out of my hometown when whenever i'd returned I, i'm from atlanta nothing wrong with atlanta i like atlanta fine but it's just i've always felt the urge to get away from atlanta and um well i got about as far away as i can so <laughs> absolutely and that was, you know, starting with baby steps, I started working in South Carolina, then Maine, then Canada, and then uh, and Japan. So okay. <laughs> a bit I'm of a plane ride. Yeah. Your, um, your book is this year. You just released that, did you? Uh, no, it was released a little while ago, but okay. I'm, you know, I'm doing, like I've said, I do the coaching. I've got clients really all over the world, all kinds of creatives. And, uh, I would like to just make an offer to your listeners, which is if you can make your way to my website, jefflizowitz.com. Hopefully you can put that in your show notes or something. No problem. Uh, I'm very happy to do a introductory sort of Zoom call with people to help them or to see how I can help you essentially with whatever you're doing, whether it's business stuff around your creativity or more of the internal stuff that we talked about before, all this and that. And if you just want to read the book, cool, cool. That's on Amazon pretty much all over the world. I just uh, got got that read on the train. I do most of my reading on trains these days. And actually, I do a lot of music creation on trains. You know, I, you can at least start sketching things out on an iPad, you know, anywhere. So it's sure. kind of fun. Been recording in rice fields, things like that. You know, getting birds cool. in the songs uh, simply because cool. they're there. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> Very cool, man. But. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely a good read. And of course, Almost Famous is, I, I think there's been times in my life I would have put it in my top 10. I'm not quite, it might be in the 20 now, but uh, definitely, definitely up there. A good one to get into. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Well, Jeff, I know you have some places to run, so I'll let you off the horn for now. But thanks for joining us in here today. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. Advice. Hope, hope your listeners got some goodness out of that. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. Okay, keep it real. Did you advance the film strip? Are you on the final page? Well done. I